The text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Last week, from the beginning of Mark's gospel, we witnessed the baptism of Jesus and the inauguration of the kingdom of God. The epiphany of Jesus at his baptism, and, well, really, all the epiphanies that we are looking at this season, they're all part of the good news of the kingdom. They make up the gospel, which is not uh, some list of facts to which we assent, but it's the very life of Christ, lived out in his flesh during his life, his passion, his death, his resurrection, and which now is lived as our ascended Lord at the right hand of the Father. And it's in that life in which we live and move, in which we have our own being. This past week, I think it was on Thursday, for morning prayer, we started Philippians. Did you notice how St. Paul addressed the Philippians? He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, of you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. You see that? It's a strange turn of phrase. Not in their just their belief, as if it's an intellectual belief, but in their participation in, their union with the gospel. That is what uh, St. Paul is commending them on. And so by studying these epiphanies of Jesus, which we receive from the apostles, we witness what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And it's a life that is very different from our own culture. Because the life in the kingdom of God has always looked different from the life of the world. The Romans had their good news, which I mentioned last week, the Gospel of Augustus which was achieved through years of hard-fought war and assassinations, power-grabbing, backstabbing politics, literally backstabbing. Uh, it was built upon oppression, slavery, and the persecution of any flicker of subversion. That's life in the Pax Romana, or that's life under the tyranny of the emperor. And it demanded a certain allegiance from its citizens as all worldly kingdoms do. Let me pause though. What do I mean by worldly? Worldly just doesn't mean material or physical here though. It doesn't mean that, you know, the county government that runs our county or states or just to whom we pay taxes to. By worldly, we mean an orientation that pursues a life outside the will of God. The kingdoms of this world, just like the kingdom of Augustus, they claim power and dominion apart from and without recognition of the true creator and the ruler of the universe. And so in the end, they all strive against the love of God. And it seems sometimes both today, but throughout all history, that the orientation of the world, that will of man, 
is truly the strongest kingdom. Take a look at how Jesus, his own life was altered by the kingdom of the world. He was born under the Roman Empire and his life dramatically altered, perhaps even controlled by that kingdom. His mother had to travel with the support of Joseph a great distance while pregnant in order to fulfill the census called by Caesar. Later on, they had to flee their community because of the persecution of Herod. His infancy was shadowed by the jealousy and hatred of Herod, and his ministry was attacked by political leaders scared of his identity, who then eventually bring him to the hands of a worldly ruler. Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate, bound, having been tortured, and now the king of the cosmos is at the hands of the kingdom of Caesar. Jesus tells him such. He even says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate, who is so exasperated that Jesus doesn't answer all of his rest of his questions, then declares to Jesus, wait, I have the power to crucify you. I have the power over life and death. And Jesus responds, Thou could have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Jesus' declaration here, it subverts our normal way of looking at the world. For now, we have to admit that there is a greater power at work maybe beyond or above the ambition of these worldly kingdoms. Jesus was given a chance in the wilderness to rule over all worldly kingdoms. And he turned down Satan's offer. I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. We're still in Epiphany, and I just jumped to the Passion. But I think it's helpful to remember what the end is, to see this contrast of the kingdoms, so that when we come to this miracle at Cana, we can see what's being claimed here. You all know that the Gospel of John is the only Gospel in which we find this miracle at Cana. He was there. He was present. And something happened at that miracle that opened John's eyes. And he understood the depth of meaning that was being revealed. And that is that our king is not Augustus. But the creator, the word by which God the Father created the world. John wrote at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It is the word of God who sustains all things. It's the word of God who creates all things. And this was as true in the beginning of creation as it was then at Cana and as it is now. Christ sustains all creation moment by moment. And so, of course, he could turn water into wine because every vine that has ever existed 
was sustained and created by him. Every variety of grape, every single grape itself, exists solely because it is God's desire and delight that they be so. Augustine has this wonderful quote. When our Lord turned the water into wine, he was but doing the very same thing which he does every year. In every grape of every vintage, the waters from above nourish the vine tree and are taken up into the fruit and turned by his secret power into that juice of the grape, which becomes to us wine. Think what allegiance we owe to that sort of king, the one through whom all the universe was created. This is what the introit and the gradual and the alleluia today are saying. All ye angels worship God, and all ye lands worship God. Look at the creator himself. We also understand from Cana kind of how this kingdom is characterized. Because the kingdom of God is built upon love, not on power or fear. For at Cana, Christ reveals himself as the groom. It's no accident in the Gospel of John that Jesus comes to a marriage to start his ministry. His ministry of marrying his bride, the church. His work of redemption starts at a marriage because he chose to unite himself to humanity as a groom unites himself to his bride. The Venerable Bede, my favorite English doctor of the church, wrote, it's not by chance that Jesus came to a marriage celebrated on earth in the customary fleshly way, since he descended from heaven to earth in order to connect the church to himself in spiritual love. His nuptial chamber was the womb of his incorrupt mother, where God was conjoined with human nature. And from there, he came forth like a bridegroom to join the church to himself. The miracle this morning is to remind us of Christ's identity as the groom to whom the church is wed. He is our desire and through whom we are brought together to his Father. In this epiphany, this episode in John, for a moment, the curtain was raised as Christ's identity was revealed. The disciples' eyes were definitely opened, and they were able to see for the first time a little of what the angels always see, the creator of the universe sustaining and ordering his creation in love. When we read these stories, it is easy for us to just imagine they belong to a different time, a different age, that this would never really actually happen now. Or we might hope that God would just show us another miracle like Cana, because then I could believe. But as we learn about the identity of Christ, we've got to understand that this, this state of reality is the same. We live in the midst of the same power that walked the roads of Cana. He is still equally near to us, even though we might lack the faith to see that. Let us not forget to look for Christ's work in the daily course of our lives, to see his hand at work in our lives, both in our joys and feasting, 
and also in our sorrows and fastings, at our homes, at our work, and then right here. Let us pray to Christ to open our eyes and know that he is present with us so that he can continue the transformation of life that he has promised. That's the kind of life that Paul has been talking about in Romans 12, which has been used in all of our epistle readings in Epiphany so far. Paul calls upon the Romans to present themselves as a living sacrifice, not conforming to the world, not conforming and accepting just the kingdoms of this world as the end, but through a transformation of their minds to live out their lives in a unity, bound to one another in the body of Christ. Because this unity is present, each person is to use their own gifts for the building up of the body, which means that each of you should find his or her own gifts to serve one another right here at All Saints. We see this over the years. We've experienced this in our community. When we work with one another, we do so with brotherly love, preferring the other, not just ourselves. When a member of our parish mourns or suffers, we come alongside to mourn with them. When one of our members rejoices, we come along to rejoice with them. We help each other out in times of need, and we attend to any member of the parish, not just the most prominent. You see, we have moved from a cosmic view of the church to the particular, of literally how we interact with one another at the local parish. That kind of seems strange, but that's the normal way of viewing the church. Our parish is the local manifestation of the universal church. So how we love, how we serve one another here, how we offer hospitality, how we take care of this beautiful building, how we educate and bring up our children, how we live then amongst the community. All of this are the consequences of our union with Christ. All of those aspects of your lives can and should be brought into allegiance to Jesus. Seek out his glory in every aspect. Live in his kingdom so that you might present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and that is your reasonable service. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.